A pleasant Monday. This is Ozarks at Large for January 23rd, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. The Lunar New Year arrived this weekend. We are now in the year of the rabbit, and we may be headed into a week of some snow. The National Weather Service expects some amount of snow to fall Tuesday afternoon and Tuesday night with what the service describes as potential for significant snowfall in some locations. In fact, a winter storm watch has been issued for the listening area beginning tomorrow afternoon. Ahead this hour, we go back to the Prior Center archives to learn how FedEx developed in Arkansas before moving east to Memphis. First, though, how ownership of Carroll County newspapers has moved back into local hands. Three employees, editor Scott Loftus, advertising executive Scott Johnson, and photographer David Bell, bought Carroll County newspapers from previous out-of-state owners, Cherry Road Media. The offices of Carroll County newspapers on South Main in Berryville are in transition. After three paper employees purchased the company late last year, they're moving to a smaller, more efficient set of quarters. It's been years since the papers have been locally owned, but as of the first of this year, three local partners, including Carroll County News Editor Scott Loftus, own the company. Well, part of it was, and I have to be honest, Jerry Robe was generous with us. I mean, they made us a good deal. Um, the other part of it was I was just afraid that, you know, this newspaper is going to go away. And selfishly, what am I going to do? And But more in a, in a broader sense, what's this community going to do without this newspaper? Uh, whether they realize it or not, and I think some folks do and some don't, they need this newspaper. It's, it's crucial to this community. Uh, and so that was the, the biggest motivator for me is, hey, let's do it. And uh, I, I can't express how grateful I am for David and Steve because we would not have been able to do it without them. Loftus isn't new to the newspaper business. He's worked for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette for 10 years and for the Pine Bluff Commercial. And he's been reporting and editing at Carroll County News for the last eight and a half years. But owner, that's a new role. And he says he spent the last two weeks adjusting. It's been extremely hectic. Uh, we had to uh, redo a lot of our vendor agreements. And, of course, the, the, the biggest thing has been getting ready to move into smaller space where we think we'll be more efficient. And we can save some money by doing that, which is important. Uh, we really looked hard at expenses and tried to cut them. But we didn't cut any people. There was one person that stayed with Cherry Road. Our staff has gotten smaller uh, over the past couple of years, but it's just by attrition. We just haven't filled some spots. Uh, so, you know, I think the biggest thing has been trying to get moved and continue to do everything we've got to do from the administrative side and getting moved and still put the paper out. That's been interesting. Not that any week or any day operating a small paper with a small staff isn't already hectic. Last night, I was here till you know, right before 5, then I had to go to the quorum court meeting at 5, the city council meeting at 6, and then there was high school basketball last night. So um, it's it makes for long days. But like I said, that's just part of it. I love it. I absolutely love it. I can't imagine doing anything else. Loftus partnered with two other current employees to buy the paper from Cherry Road Media, a New Jersey-based company that owns newspapers in 15 states, including still some papers in Arkansas. Steve Johnson, a new co-owner, has lived in Carroll County since 1986 and works with the paper's advertisers. The people that we have talked to are realizing the importance of stepping up, um, uh, embracing a traditional news media, and we're telling them... Uh, we. We, we feel it's important to go with social media, with radio, with all of their mix, 
bring back their newspaper mix, and also to provide specialized inserts into the paper that will help focus on our agriculture, on our schools, on things that our readers want. Scott Loftus says Cherry Road worked to make the transition as seamless as possible for the new owners, and Loftus says the asking price went a long way to making the purchase a possibility. Still, Steve Johnson says he and his partners had to ask themselves some serious questions before buying. Does this printed product still have an audience? We have a tremendous audience. We need to deliver news the way they want to receive it, whether it's in their handheld uh, smartphone or they want to read it online. Uh, We had to look at all those things, and we have to approach everything creatively that way. Loftus says he was able to give everybody on staff a bit of a raise after the sale, and he plans to keep the paper, which has been awarded the Arkansas Press Association's first place for general excellence five of the last six years, pretty much the same. He says putting together a paper that covers a county with 24,500 residents, but a diverse demographic, is never boring. And you know the majority of the, the people in Carroll County don't live inside city limits. They, they're out in the county and uh, yeah it's very interesting and we you know the, the, the joke is when you cross the Kings River Bridge you go from livestock to Woodstock and it's you know it's, it's really true it's a whole different culture over there uh, and it, but it's been really interesting to try to try to reconcile those two and it's really interesting the people's perceptions of me as a columnist over there they think i am this huge conservative because <laughs> i'm not quite as liberal as they are over here they think i'm this arch liberal because i'm not as conservative as they are so it's it's pretty interesting carroll county newspapers also publishes ozark mountain trader a shopper style paper and the lovely county citizen a weekly with deep eureka springs ties the citizen at least for the immediate future will be found online very hard for us to do that, but the, the economics of it uh, made that, I think, the only decision that really made any sense. We are very hopeful, and I don't want to give away too many details, that we're going to have some advertising that steps up for the print edition and we can bring it back. We're really hoping that we may be back by March or April with the print edition. Certainly the newspaper world is drastically different than just 10 years ago, but Scott Loftus says a newspaper's role in a community is no less important. You know, if you want to know what's going on with your city council, if you want to know what's going on with your school board, if you want to know what's going on with your high school sports teams, I think that we're the place that you go and you get credible information about what's going on in the community. And I I think it it kind of helps to bind the community together. You know, it's it's uh, people look forward to having their their son or daughter's picture on the sports page or. Uh, you know, seeing their their uh, fundraiser on the front page or, you know, the library recently got a million-dollar grant and they're all over the front page and they are thrilled with that. This is Ozarks at Large. About 2,000 patients a year walk through Welcome Health's doors. The Low Income Free Health Center has been in its location for 10 years, and center officials celebrate with community members in the building's architect, Marlon Blackwell, Thursday. Welcome Health, formerly the Northwest Arkansas Free Health Center, has moved three times since it opened in 1986. Monica Fisher-Massey, executive director of the center, says the building allows for more people to be treated. 
I mean, everybody wants to be treated in a wonderful facility, and our patients get that here. In our old facility, which was next to the old courthouse in the armory building, uh, which was not so nice on the inside, things would get stolen, paper towels or Kleenex, or people would spill their coffee on the floor or just leave cans and things around, and that doesn't happen here at all. The center offers services ranging from endocrinology and gynecology to dental care and physical therapy for individuals who meet its income guidelines. These include people from Washington, Boone, Carroll, Benton, Sebastian, and Madison counties, and counties bordering in Oklahoma and Missouri. Fisher Massey says there are about 40 professional volunteers, eight staff members, and student lay volunteers who run Welcome Health. Well, I've been here since January 1st of 2002, so it's been a long time. Gone through a lot of changes, lots of growth specifically. We expanded not only the staff, we recruited additional volunteers, we uh, raised more funds to offer more programs and services. Welcome Health is not the only center to expand its facilities in northwest Arkansas. Mercy announced a $500 million investment this past July for projects, including a cancer center expansion and about 100 physicians. Hey, it's A. Martinez. On Morning Edition, we go straight to the source of each story, and sometimes that leads to some interesting conversations, like this one in Qatar. <laughs> or this pardoning ceremony at the White House. And grateful for fellow Americans who we may never meet. But who would be, there you go. Listen to Morning Edition from NPR News for the best conversations, human or otherwise, every weekday. Morning Edition, every weekday morning from 5 until 9 on KUAF 91.3, including tomorrow morning. And in about 20 minutes on today's Ozarks at Large, the Royal Winnipeg Ballet is at Walton Arts Center this week to lead master classes and host auditions. An opportunity to, you know, see a little bit about the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School and uh, be taught by one of our fantastic um, artistic faculty, our teachers, and see a little bit about our, you know, the way that we, um, you know, teach and, and, and bring dance. So it's just a workshop, just a class. That's ahead later this hour. Federal Express couriers and Federal Express trucks pick up high-priority packages and ship them overnight in a fleet of Federal Express... This is Ozarks at Large. Randy Dixon with the Dave and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual is, History is here with me as he is most Mondays. What did we just hear there? Well, first of all, I told you I'd deliver this week with a with a good one, and it is a good one. That was a 70s, 1970s uh, promotional film for Federal Express, which is now just FedEx. They changed the name in, I believe it was 1994. Everyone was already calling them FedEx. Exactly. Yeah. So why not brand it that way? And they've had some great branding, which we'll talk about. But the reason we're doing a prior center profile on FedEx, of all places. A Memphis company, after well, all. Well, sort of. <laughs> um, the founder uh, and chairman is a man by the name of Fred Smith, who actually, you know, it's, it's the largest delivery service in the world. Uh, and as you said, based in Memphis, Tennessee, but it actually started in all places, Little Rock, Arkansas. And I bet a lot of people don't know that. No, probably not. It was back in 1971. And uh, just as a little background on Fred Smith, um, he studied economics at Yale and then um, went to Vietnam in the Marines, mm. 
did a stint for three years. Three years in Vietnam. Yes, and he was he was a pilot, and um, it was during that time in Vietnam that the idea of of FedEx kind of creeped into his head, I guess, and and I think it probably had to do with. I mean, think about the logistics of having to move equipment and, you know, material uh, in a war zone. But you've got to use air, you've got to use ground, you've got to, you've got to do all kinds of ways to, to get uh, not just letters, it's major, major stuff mm-hmm. you, know, you have to get from one place to another. But anyway, he, he gets out of the Marines he comes to Little Rock um, and buys a, 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 an aircraft maintenance company at Adams Field in, oh. in Little Rock, and it's called Arkansas Aviation Sales. But he had some in, inheritance money, a lot of he- inheritance money back then, and started <laughs> what, four million dollars. Four million dollars. It's yeah. a lot now. And then he got a yeah. lot of venture capital because yeah. I mean, four million dollars is a lot of money. But if you're talking right airplanes, and he started acquiring jet planes that could carry cargo only. But anyway, um, he launched Federal Express in Little Rock with just a couple of jets that he's getting and refurbishing, and so KTV. Talked with him in 1971, shortly after he started the company. Really, uh, an outgrowth of uh, some things that happened in the certificated airline industry uh, that we felt left a critical gap in the market. In particular, um, the certificated carriers have always viewed air freight as a stepchild. And there are very few cities in the United States, or pairs of cities, that constitute enough uh, traffic to justify using a large aircraft uh, to deliver freight. Knowing that this is Fred Smith who will, you know, expand Federal Express, FedEx yeah. around the world, it's so interesting to hear that. From clip. the very start. From the very start, yeah. Yeah, and he's sitting there in Little Rock, Arkansas. And by the way, Arkansas Aviation Sales is now uh, Dassault Falcon Jet. Oh. They, they took that facility and continued refurbishing jets, and now they do it, you know, they're high-end, right. really, really nice luxury jets. And, you know, he was talking about certificated carriers in that interview. I had to know what that was, uh, so I looked it up, and it's passenger planes. So anyway, um, he in, in 73, he moved the operation to Memphis and started this hub that uh, is, is the hallmark of, of what they are. And they had service to 25 major cities at the time. So the next time KTV caught up with him was a decade or so later in 1984. And uh, Bill Rogers of KETV interviewed him at the Memphis headquarters. The basic premise to, upon which Federal Express was founded uh, was the belief that uh, the country's economy was undergoing a systemic change and moving from a traditional manufacturing base to one that was based on computers and information. 
and that those uh, types of industries that are based on microprocessors and computerization and service industries which are highly information sensitive needed a new type of logistic system that would move things much quicker, uh, much more reliably than had been the case in the past. All right, so now he's moved to Memphis. Things are really beginning to uh, expand. Yeah, and at this point, you know, he's wanting to, to go, you know, they're within the borders of the U.S. They've got 24, 25 cities. They're, they're wanting to do more and they're wanting to expand. So Bill Rogers asked him about their plans for the future. We have about 85 or 86 percent of the population uh, covered by the Federal Express network of employees, trucks, and planes today, although we provide services to the rest of the country through agents. We'll have that up to about 95 percent within a year. Uh, we're expanding internationally, having just acquired a small company, which will be uh, the nucleus of a much expanded international uh, operation, uh, first to Western Europe and then to the Pacific. They did expand. Boy, did they They ever. did expand, yes. Yeah, so in 1984, when, when we, we, KATV, did this interview, FedEx had 22,000 employees, and the year before had just reached $1 billion, mm. billion with a B, dollars in revenue. So last year I checked, and they have a staff of 547,000, and their annual revenue was just shy of 94 billion. So now we get to the interesting part. Um, you may wonder what would have happened if FedEx had stayed in Little Rock. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, and why didn't they stay in Little Rock? You know, I always heard, and this was even talk around the newsroom, that the either the city board of directors in Little Rock or the airport commission turned him down. Well, KTV asked him about that in 1984. It had been much easier if we could have stayed in Little Rock, but the facts of the matter are the Memphis airport had fortuitously about 90 acres of... Uh, recently abandoned at that time uh, former military ramp which is very expensive to to put in place and which would have been prohibitive for Federal Express at that point in time and the airport here is a substantially bigger airport with uh, three long instrument runways versus Little Rocks one and because of the location of Memphis uh, it has a better weather system. Uh, the Little Rock Airport, as you'll know, is in a curve in the river, and so it has a tendency for fog more often uh, than Memphis does. In fact, it's quite a substantial difference. Not a great number of hours in the course of a year, but unfortunately, at exactly the time that our operation absolutely positively has to take place. So those were the reasons that, uh, that we are in Memphis and, and as opposed to Little Rock. So it makes sense. I mean, if you've got all this infrastructure available in Memphis. Yes. But the most interesting thing there is the curve of the river, the Arkansas River, creates just enough fog mm -hmm. to be a problem. Yeah. And the, the, yeah, the, the climate was the big deal. And, you know, they fly out every night in the middle of the night. I think around midnight is when, I mean, you can go into the FedEx headquarters at midnight, and you would think it was noon. 
mm. or middle of the afternoon. It's just, it's humming. You know, there are, there are always legends and myths around businesses. If you go to Newport, Arkansas, I have done this because, you know, Sam Walton had a store yep. in Newport and then came to Northwest Arkansas. And you will hear the legends of what happened. And it's kind of the same thing, whether they're true or not. But, oh, the city council at the time or the city fathers, they thought he was, you know, not someone to deal with or whatever. So they ran him out of town or he. Yeah. You hear these all the time. Well. Whether they're true or not. But what's crazy is that there are a bunch about Fred Smith. A bunch of myths? Oh. Legends? Yes. And, well, you know. I was lucky enough to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Um, Which doesn't happen that often. No, no, he doesn't do personal interviews. And uh, even Jim Pitcock, my old boss, who I talk to on a weekly basis, I had told him I was going to try to get an interview with him. And he said, uh, he doesn't really do interviews very much. You know, good luck. And he got back in touch and was willing to do it. And while I was talking to him, he he said... When he heard the prior name, the prior center, oh. that's why he wanted to talk because he has so much respect for David and Barbara. Barbara and Mark Pryor. Oh, yeah. um, he's worked with all of them over the years. So, um, I wanted to ask him about some of these other urban legends because let's well, set the record I read, straight. I read his bio on mm-hmm. uh, Wikipedia. And, um, you know, we could we could call this the FedEx Fact or Fiction Show. Okay. Um, so one of the other ones is that, um, and I've read it several places, that he wrote a paper when he was going to uh, Yale for an economics class that outlined the idea and concept of FedEx, and he got a C. Uh, not true. Here we go. But it wasn't at all the concept for Federal Express. That was developed much later when I came back from the service. I started working at Arkansas Aviation, and I realized that that original idea was much more acute because technology and automation was taking over everything, including straightforward until today when your entire institutional memory personally is in your pocket I'll bet with with an iPhone or uh so so that was that's also a myth but I don't do many personal interviews and so it's perpetuated that I got a C grade and went on and and did Federal Express so not many people get the the full background which you just did I usually just say I was glad to get a C grade. It was a good grade for me and let it lie. (laughs) All right. So the next myth Mm -hmm. that uh, early on uh, he couldn't make payroll. So he took the company's only $5,000, went to Vegas, and won $27,000 gambling, playing blackjack uh, to make the payroll that week. That was sort of true. It, it was based There's a on, nugget here? Yeah, yeah. So he told me when he was based in Vietnam that there was really nothing to do when you were, you know, not in harm's way, uh, but listen to Armed Services Radio. 
smoked cigarettes, mm. which he didn't smoke till he went to Vietnam, uh. out of sheer boredom, he sure. said, and play cards. Okay. And he got really good at blackjack. Oh, counting cards? and Counting cards, yeah. which you can't do anymore because they use multiple decks. For that very reason. Exactly. But he was really good at it. And um, which was easy to do at the time. And he did go to Vegas and he did win. But the main part of the story, again, not true. So when I was at Arkansas Aviation, we used to charter planes. And this guy, I think he was a lawyer. His name escapes me. He was a he was a inveterate uh, gambler. He loved to go to Las Vegas. He chartered the plane and I was one of the two pilots and he insisted on giving us a both of us the the pilots who flew him out there for the three days or long weekend there you know some credit and I can't remember even the casino I think it was the dunes but I could be wrong so all we had to do while we were waiting on him to have a good time there was to play a little blackjack and I knew how to play it very well and so I did win $27,000 back in the days when they used a single deck. They've stopped that because they use multiple decks now, and the odds are much more in the house's favor. But the myth is, as you correctly surmised, that somehow that $27,000 saved the, the company. That's not true. I love that there is at least a little bit of fact. I mean, he did win the money. Yes, he did. And it was $27,000, which I've seen published that figure. But it didn't, it wasn't done so he could meet payroll. Right. Yeah. And he didn't even have, uh, you know, he's, right. yeah, yeah, it had really nothing to do with FedEx. That was just, I guess, play money. <laughs> but anyway, so the, I, I went into this, you know, with, with the notion of all of these things that I was going to get him to tell the story of. And it's like, no, I'm just finding out that, you know, most of them aren't true. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, his, his I, I guess you could say his Wikipedia bio sort of reads like it could have been written by George Santos. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't right being untrue, but somebody was. So, I mean, there were so many false claims in there. So, and it's not just Wikipedia. I've, I've read it from other sources, too. But anyway, um, they're myths. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm glad that we're going to be able to straighten all this out. Um, all right. Well, you I won't straighten you? it out because you won't straighten it out because I've given this same uh, material to a lot of people. It's just not nearly as much fun as the, uh, <laughs> the other two myths. I love that. Now nah, you're not going to set the record straight. You can try. Yeah, but it's. It'll keep going. It's like George Washington cutting down the the tree, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just it it has a life of its own. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure it still will. I'm I'm sure some people will will hear this, and all they'll hear was part of, or maybe all they'll remember six months from now. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was hearing Fred Smith on the radio, and he, yeah, he confirmed when he didn't. Yes. Yes, we get used to get calls like that all the time at the TV station. It's like I heard. On your television station, it's like, no, no that's not what you heard. Yeah, so that happens. Uh, wasn't, you remember the Tom Hanks movie Castaway? Yes. Wasn't, Fred's in it. I, I was going to say, wasn't FedEx the 
the company that Tom Hanks worked for than the plane yes, goes down? Yes, and the plane crash. Yeah, so he Fred was hitching a ride. When he comes out of, I guess, exile or mm-hmm. is no longer cast away, uh, they welcome him back at the FedEx headquarters in Memphis, and Fred Smith does a cameo. But, that, yeah, that's a fun little fact. Yeah. And, oh, I have some more. Please. Um, all right. So the logo. Mm. Do you know this about the logo? Once you see it, you can't unsee it. No, no, you really can't. So if you look at the logo and it says Fed and then X, the X, the E-X, the white space in between the E and the X is an arrow. Yeah. And it points right. And if you've never noticed it, look the next time you see a truck. And you will never not see it again. No. It just, man, it jumps out at you. I think it's cool. It, I've seen it. Occasionally you see these lists of the best logos ever created. It's always in the top oh, five yeah. or six ever because of All that. of their advertising yeah. is. Um, you know, like I was looking at a list of all of their slogans. And, you know, the, the original you'll always remember, is when it absolutely positively has to be there overnight. Yeah, that became not just their logo, but Johnny Carson would use it as a punchline. Well, and I remember a Saturday Night Live skit where there was a delivery company when it absolutely had to be there last week, and they would lie to the person that they're delivering the package to and say, oh, no, they didn't send this late. We messed it up. So, yeah, they made a play on that. Some of the other ones that maybe not as familiar, our most important package is yours. Do you remember that I one? I don't. I don't. How about this is a job oh, for yeah. FedEx? Yeah, I remember yeah. that one. And then relax, it's FedEx. Yep. yep. Um, and then we live to deliver. I think that's currently used now. But my favorite uh, <laughs> advertising of theirs is is a TV commercial that came out in 1981, and it's called Fast-Paced World. Okay, Eunice Travel Plans, I need to be in New York on Monday, LA on Tuesday, New York on Wednesday, LA on Thursday, New York on Friday, got it? Got it. Got it. Hey, that so guy really was a celebrity at the time. He would be on the Today Show, he would be on game shows, he would make cameos and comedies. Yeah, his name's John Mashita, mm-hmm. and I looked him up. He um, came from that, and... And he's still alive. Oh, and wow. In his career, he's done more than 750 commercials. We've got something coming up um, that's connected to this segment. We have a gig this week. That's right. Um, at the Prior Center, live mm-hmm. and in person, uh, we'll be doing a best of video version of this show. That's right. And uh, it should be really fun. I hope you all can come out. We're live and in person. Mm-hmm. We'll have the screen six, behind us. Six to seven, big screen behind us. Uh, we'll be playing different videos. Um, gosh, well, there there are a couple we, we may repeat from the ones we did online. Oh, that's okay. Uh, you know, definitely we've got to see the Stones when they were arrested in Fordyce in 1976. Maybe a little performance from Jimmy Driftwood. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, some political things, some visual things, too. And maybe throw up a few faces that uh, folks may be familiar with. And I'm still, you know, putting it all together. 
and uh, it, it should be good. All right. We'll see you Thursday night, and you'll be back here next Monday, right? Yes. All right. Oh, you want to know what we're going to talk about? Sure. It'll put your eye out. Daisy BB ah, guns. Right, right, right. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. So that's what we're in store for. Our our own Rogers, Arkansas yeah. BB guns. Excellent. On the season four premiere of Undisciplined, we ask our guest, Dr. Charles Ross, how long he thinks it'll be until there's a black owner in the National Football League. Ooh. Well, I mean, you tell me. We've got a first black president of the United States. <laughs> you think about that. You, had, you would think it would be easier maybe to be a black owner in the NFL. Hear more of that conversation wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us on this Monday. The Royal Winnipeg Ballet School Professional Division is at Walton Art Center today and tomorrow for master classes and auditions. This is just one of two such engagements by the company in the United States. Late last week, we called Suzanne Andre, professional division principal with the company, to find out more. She says the relationship between the Royal Winnipeg Ballet and the Walton Art Center began last November when the company came to Fayetteville to perform the Nutcracker. Coming out of that, there were some conversations um, about um, us holding auditions uh, there, but then also, um, you know, seeing that there was uh, interest just in dance and in ballet training in the area uh, led us to also hold um, uh, free masterclasses uh, in that area. The masterclasses are part of the Monday agenda, and auditions are taking place tomorrow. Suzanne Andre says the masterclasses are being led by faculty from the school, and are designed to enhance dancers' skill and enjoyment. The word master can sometimes, master class can scare because everyone's like, oh my gosh, do I have to go and master anything <laughs> in that uh, short amount of time? And, and what it is, is it's just a, it's a uh, dance class and um, uh, an opportunity to, you know, see a little bit about the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School and uh, be taught by one of our fantastic um, artistic faculty, our teachers, and see a little bit about our, you know, the way that we, um, you know, teach and, and, and bring dance. So it's just a workshop, just a class. Um, and what we always um, want to do is, you know, in that class, you know, give little uh, tidbits to students um, so that it's something that they can continue to work on, you know, and, and keep developing. She says master classes for adults are part of a unique mission of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School Professional Division. Even in our building in Winnipeg here, we do have a recreational division, which has dancers, um, you know, as young as three to, uh, you know, I don't know, we don't ask how, how old some of our adult dance dancers are. Um, then our professional division, where we have students that are training, like on a career path of dance, and then our company. And uh, it, it really does show that, you know, um, you know dance is, is something that can be lifelong. It doesn't need to be, a, you know, a career. Uh, it can be just something that is, um, you know, a way that... Uh, People can, um, you know, it, there's a physical benefit to do it in, in terms of your physique, um, you know, getting in a physical um, uh, thing. But it's also an experience where you're growing as an artist and being able to express yourself. Tomorrow, there will be auditions at Walton Art Center. She says the auditions are for students who are serious dance students. They'll be auditioning for spots in the school's July three-week-long program. Where, uh, you know, they're going to get some, you know, great training, uh, dance with students from literally all over the world, um, and have an opportunity to be assessed for our uh, full-time program. So in the audition, um, it, it is structured, again, like a uh, regular dance class. 
Um, but, uh, you know, staff are looking not necessarily for where they are at right now with their, their dance, particularly, you know, there's, we hope to see some, some young students. And so their level of study um, uh, isn't really important. We're really looking for that potential. So uh, their potential, again, both as, um, you know, um, um, uh, uh, their, uh, how, how they can develop and train and also um, their, you know, their artistry. Um, and so uh, it's a, a good experience, um, you know, just so that everyone knows, too, it, um, you know, we know that auditions can be, you know, intimidating for, for people to come. They, you know, they maybe even seen an audition scene in a movie where it's like, you know, you stay, you go, that, that type of thing. That doesn't happen in our audition. All of uh, the participants that come to our audition, you know, are there for the in entire time. At no point is, the, is there a, you know, moment where they're going to be, you know, you know, handed a letter, letter and given an a, um, invite or not. That is all done afterwards. Suzanne Andre is professional division principal with the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School. For more information about the masterclasses and auditions, search for Royal Winnipeg Ballet Masterclasses and Auditions at waltonartcenter.org. Jazz reflects the fundamental nature of the American spirit, recognizing the importance of the individual while connecting that to the idea of cooperation. In the words of Herbie Hancock, the spirit of jazz is the spirit of openness. I'm Robert Ginsberg, and for 41 years I've been your host for Shades of Jazz here on KUAF. My gratitude goes out to you and to KUAF's commitment to presenting America's unique musical art form. Whether it's a historic recording or a brand new release, the music you connect with, the artists you relate to, will be here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz, Jazz Scoop, and our jazz station KUAF3. Help us to continue to make even more connections with your gift of support today. Go to supportkuaf.com. This is... Ozarks at large. Belgrade-born guitarist Anna Popovich says jam sessions with her father and his fellow musicians when she was young helped lead her to a career performer. So I grew up in Belgrade and um, you know I was, I was home listening to my father's jam sessions. They would have a little band uh, play some blues and uh, they didn't have a slide player so by the time I was you know I guess 12, 13 I learned a few slide stuff from Elmo James and so I would sit in jam sessions, that's how I first really, I was drawn to music and I wanted to play guitar. I started with a keyboard when I was nine and I quickly switched to, to guitar. That was always my instrument. Obviously that time, you know, no girls were playing whatsoever, uh, especially in Serbia. You can see that interview with Anna Popovich at Reverb.com and better yet, you can actually see and hear her perform at Meteor Guitar Gallery a week from today, Monday, January 29th. This is an example of what you'll hear. Well, my mother told my body About three months before I was born She said, boy, child, come and you know Got a rolling stone, a rolling stone 
The Anna Popovich Show, scheduled to start at 8.30 a week from tonight. All the details can be found at MeteorGuitarGallery.com. The second day of the Arkansas Black Music and Film Expo, February 18th, is about music. That afternoon, it's a Saturday, from 2 until 5, will be a family-friendly event. First, Music Moves partnering with Mardi Gras Fayetteville for the Mardi Gras Parade, beginning at 2 that day. Then the expo begins at George's Majestic Lounge, where the Racy Brothers and Crescent City Combo will be performing. Saturday afternoon tickets, $10. Children 12 and under, absolutely free. The evening of the 18th, from 7 until 11.30, being billed as an item to Solgen RB, with performances by Funk Factory, Bronjay, Avery Sunshine, H-Town, and Ying Yang Twins. There are separate tickets for just Saturday night and weekend passes for both the film-specific day. That's the first day of the Expo. That's on Friday the 17th. So those weekend passes will include the films on the 17th and the music on the 18th. All you have to do is follow the links at stubs.net. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Songs. Sawyer and gospel and soul music legend Al Green was born April 13, 1946 in Forest City, Arkansas, and raised on the family farm in neighboring Lee County. Al Green's Willie Mitchell produced hits from his early 1970s heyday on Memphis, Tennessee's high records and persevered long enough to make Green an American musical icon. Just from 1972 to 1974, Al Green had a half dozen top ten hits. But Green's classic songs, most with drummer Al Jackson Jr., endure in another way sampled beats and riffs dating from the golden age of hip-hop to today. St. Francis County native's first number one hit came just over a year after Green joined forces with Mitchell on High Records, 1971's Let's Stay Together. The song has since been sampled by dozens of hip-hop artists, including Lil Wayne, whose song Earthquake from his platinum 2004 album The Carter is heard here, as well as by the likes of Master P, Public Enemy, and Run DMC. was cool and at the palladium seen an old world cover girl i said hey lady i'm sorry if you're in a rush on eric b and rakim's mahogany from 1990 heard here the pioneering hip-hop duo samples al green's i'm glad you're mine from 1972 although mostly just al jackson jr's drum intro i was saying almost look korean but you're a when she spoke her accent was self-explanatory Memphis, Tennessee native Al Jackson Jr. was a drummer so revered, he was called the human timekeeper. Jackson's father was a band leader who had his son playing drums on stage at a very early age. Jackson Jr. became a session drummer for Memphis's Stax as well as High Records. Jackson drummed on most classic Stax releases from Otis Redding and Sam and Dave on down, as well as in his own band, Booker T and the MGs. Jackson also produced and appeared on albums by Albert King, Eric Clapton, Herbie Mann, Freddie King, and others. Decades after his murder, at age 39 in 1975, Al Jackson Jr. remains one of the most influential American drummers of all time.
Greens, I'm Glad You're Mine, in particular, has been sampled by many across the decades. Heard previously by Mary J. Blige in her 1999 song, Time, it's heard here by Shante with Sweet Baby from 2003. The track has also been used by MC Light, Missy Elliott, Mob Deep, DeBrat, and Massive Attack, and perhaps most memorably, on several tracks by the notorious B.I.G. Another big Al Green hit from 1972 was Love and Happiness, heard here and sampled by Busta Rhymes and Turn It Up from his platinum 1997 album, When Disaster Strikes. Like several songs from Green's verdant early period, Love and Happiness has been sampled by a vast array of artists, including Tupac, Twista, Special Ed, and Bone Thugs in Harmony. KRS-One representing my city va cracker. Sacle Rouge, KRS-One, drop it on them like this. Pick it up, pick it up. You know what time it is when KRS-One comes through. Representing all crew, hip hop culture, you know how we do. Shump, dump that up, da 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 Shump, dump that up, da 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 Shump, dump that up, da 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 Shump. How can they throw you in prison now for long years? If in reality the black man doesn't belong here, have you forgotten how we got to this place? Why then are all the jails predominantly the black race? If you don't Al Green's big hits from the early 1970s have been sliced and diced by the greatest producers and MCs of hip hop, thanks to the groove supplied by original producer Willie Mitchell, coupled most often with the impeccable drumming of Al Jackson Jr. But even Al Green's less remembered songs from the era have proven just as fruitful over the decades for sampling. Heard here is 1997's The French Connection by the groundbreaking MC KRS-One, which uses Green's 1973 song, Your Love is Like the Morning Sun. You first pulled the knife, but to heal it'll take my whole life. I got no force on this left. I listen to bass and treble. Meanwhile, what a wonderful thing love is has been used more than once just by Kanye West, including West's Out in the Game with John Legend. Green's 1972 song was also sampled by Big Mike of the Ghetto Boys in 1994's Player Player. Jay-Z is also a repeat deep Al Green sampler. He utilized Green's Free at Last from 1973 in Blueprint, Mama Loves Me, in 2001, and later sampled Green's version of Driving Wheel, an older blues song written by Arkansas native Roosevelt Sykes in 2008's Can't Knock the Hustle. For his 2019 song, Are We Still Friends, heard here, Tyler, the creator, sampled Green's 1977 song, Dream, which, by the way, was from Al Green's 12th album in seven years and Green's first ever without producer Willie Mitchell. An artist in transition, Al Green would soon turn his focus away from secular music altogether. This is just a sampling of the sampling of Al Green, and it's just another facet of the lengthy and storied career of East Arkansas-born Al Green, from gospel to soul music to hip-hop. 
It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Arkansas is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansas since 1998. This is Ozarks at Large. Guess who is in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio with me? It's Ryan Versi, our underwriting director. Hello, Ryan. Hey, Kyle. How's it going? Pretty good. Happy January. Happy January to you as well. We're going to make it a happy January for some folks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've got some names in my hand. The names in my hand will be going to see Time for Three. Time for Three, Emmy nominated. They Emmy yeah. nominated. Or Grammy. Grammy nominated. Grammy nominated. I don't know. They may be nominated for an Emmy. They too. very well could. <laughs> uh, they have been in our Furman Garner Performance Studio years ago. I heard, yeah. And they are super nice people as well as fantastic musicians. I hate that I can't make it because I... I wanted to go to this, you know, as a music person myself, yeah. you know, I love a good music performance, but yeah, um, I've got five people who are going to be right. very happy when they hear their names shortly. Let's start with Teresa Maurer. Ah, we know Teresa. She manages the Fayetteville Farmer's Market. Awesome. I thought the name sounded familiar. Yeah. Um, then I've got Christopher Kunkel. Okay. Then I've got a Drew Stevens. I think I know who Drew Stevens is, my buddy over in Walton. Um, got a Braden Shepard. Uh-huh. And Jason Cartwright. Fantastic. They're going to get to see and hear Time for Three at Walton Arts Center. And I'm, I'm rather jealous, but I also have a previous engagement tomorrow. But, you know, um, your names will be at the will call. All you need to do is show up and show them your ID. Um, you can mention that you won the KUAF giveaway if you'd mm-hmm. like. Um, but, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for entering these giveaways and Kyle, thanks for having me in your studio. Well, thanks for coming by, and we're going to do more of these, right? Oh, absolutely. i got a couple coming down the pipeline right now. All right, Ryan, thanks so much. Thank you. The Arkansas Razorback home swimming and diving season concluded this weekend in Fayetteville. Our next event for tonight's this is event number four, 100-yard back throw. This is heat number one of two, 100-back throw, heat number one. Late assignment, play number two. Arkansas defeated Kansas with 14 event wins on Saturday afternoon to top the Jayhawks 181 to 112. Arkansas will travel to face Vanderbilt on Saturday in Nashville. Though the home season is done for this year, mark in your calendars next year's season. Swimming and diving meets at the Natatorium on the U of A campus, absolutely free. Also taking place this weekend in Fayetteville, the Razorback men's basketball team will be hosting LSU tomorrow night at 6 in Bud Walton Arena. This weekend, they snapped their four-game losing streak by defeating Mississippi in Oxford. Thursday night, the Razorback women's basketball team will host Alabama. That will be a 6 o'clock tip-off. Yesterday, the Razorbacks lost at number 1 South Carolina, 92-46. Also, coming up this week on the University of Arkansas campus, no, notwithstanding, the men's tennis team will host Oral Roberts Wednesday. The Razorback indoor track teams host the annual Razorback Invitational Friday, and the gymnastics team will host LSU in Barnhill Arena Friday night. And the John Brown University basketball teams will be home twice this week. First, they host Oklahoma City University tomorrow night in Bill George Arena in Salem Springs, and they'll be hosting Central Christian Thursday night. Hey, y'all, I'm Joy McGowan. And I'm Denisha Simpson. And And we are Resilient Resilient Black Black Women. Resilient Black Women is a new podcast that aims to demystify mental health and increase access to mental health care for all people, but especially Black women and women of color. Research shows that Black women and women of color have more barriers standing in their way of seeking mental health care. 
including racism and discrimination, the stigma of mental health care, limited access and lack of providers who identify within communities of color. So join us on the second and fourth Friday of the month as we break down barriers and talk about resilience, grief, our bodies, and much, much more. The Resilient Black Women podcast is available at KUAF.com and anywhere you get your podcasts. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Springdale. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. You can find out much more about us, find schedules for all of our stations, and listen to us by going to KUAF.com. And by the way, Ozarks at Large, a production of KUAF. Contributors for this Monday included Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History and Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope contributed writing and sound regarding Welcome Health. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. And big thanks to Ryan Versey, the KUAF Underwriting Director, for stopping by the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio today. If you ever want to talk to Ryan about underwriting with KUAF, he's incredibly easy to reach. You can just send him an email, ryan at kuaf.com. Another full, brand-new show for you tomorrow. Uh, Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore examines what are or what could be school vouchers. And Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis talks to Nashville Bass, but former Fort Smith resident J.D. Clayton about how his music career is going and about his new record. That and much more on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7, and always available for free through the Ozarks at Large podcast. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks for being here.